The sports pen is on ESPN-UP in the ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops with you Friday afternoon. It is post-Thanksgiving and post-work week. We're joined by a few different guests in the studio today. Pack show, we've got Ryan Stieg of the Mining Journal, beat writer for the Northern Michigan Hockey Program, joining us shortly. But right now we start out with John Hodge, beat writer for Three Down Nation up in Manitoba. It's a big weekend coming up north of the border with the 106th annual Grey Cup occurring this weekend in Edmonton. John, I would tell you happy Thanksgiving. I know it's different up there in Canada, but regardless, <laughs> it's going to be a big weekend for you guys. You've got the Grey Cup this weekend. Tell me what that atmosphere is like up in Canada. Yeah, thank you, uh, and, and I appreciate you having me on. Happy Thanksgiving, of course, to all of your listeners uh, down stateside. It's a huge weekend up here in Canada. The Grey Cup is really a national celebration. One of the things that uh, I've, I've not been fortunate enough yet to attend a, a Super Bowl, but one of the things that a lot of people who who attend both the Grey Cup and the Super Bowl say is that the Super Bowl is very much about kind of the corporations and, and, and the players, while the Grey Cup is, is mostly about the fans. It's a very fan-oriented, fan-run event. Hundreds, if not thousands of people make the trip out every year to attend Grey Cup, and there's there's all types of, of really great opportunities for fans to get to know players, get to meet players, get to engage with players, and uh, I, having been to a couple of great cups myself, I can speak to the fact that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really matter where you go. The players are out, they're accessible, and they're they're happy to talk to, to fans. And, and uh, that's not to say the great cup's better than the Super Bowl. It's just different, has a different flavor to it, a different atmosphere, and certainly a big part of what makes it a national celebration and, and kind of a part of the fabric of uh, of our country's identity. Well, before we get into the matchup, I wanted to ask you, Super Bowl party is a big thing here in America. You get with your friends, you watch the game, you have all kinds of food, what have you. Is that a thing with the Great Cup? Is that something you all get together and have a community-type event going around? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's certainly a big thing for a lot of people. I know growing up, we, uh, you know, every year, whether it was just our, as our family or with extended family or friends, we would always get, you know, a big group of people together generally at you know whoever's house had the biggest and best television set and uh you'd watch the game and uh have a bunch of snacks have a good time the game kicks off here in, in central time at approximately five o'clock to five thirty, depending on the season and so it's kind of prime time for uh for, for getting some grub and uh and having a good time and and uh yeah it's it's great it's uh it's again, and, and that's that's an excellent point. You uh, you know this year's games at Edmondson, Alberta. Um, you know it's about ten hour drive here from from where I am in Manitoba. So uh, I'm not making the trip out, but uh, even for fans who aren't able to get to Edmonton necessarily for the game, there's there's still plenty of opportunity to uh, to get together and and enjoy the game as uh, as a group. We've got John Hodge from Three Down Nation on headset with us talking the Great Cup coming up this weekend, 106th edition from Edmonton. And that, to me, is uh, really impressive, really surprising. Hockey will always be the king sport up there in Canada, but nowhere else internationally is professional football sustained and celebrated like it is in the CFL. Tell me what that tradition is like. Well, the, the way that I've, I've heard it said many times, and I think this is pretty bang on, is that hockey is Canada's game but the CFL is Canada's league. And, and you're absolutely right. The CFL is, is made up halfway of, of Canadian players. Every team on their roster is required uh, of their 44 game dress players to dress 21 Canadians. Those Canadian players go through the draft, and, and some players come from NCAA schools. There are lots of guys, more and more, I'd say, who, 
who are getting looks stateside at, uh, at different colleges and universities, but many of them also play U sports football, which is the, uh, the Canadian uh, post-secondary uh, system that we have up here in Canada. Uh, the Vanier Cup, our, uh, our, our equivalent of the NCAA uh, championship game, is happening uh, uh, actually tomorrow. The uh, uh, Laval Rouge et Or from Quebec City are taking on the Western Mustangs from Western Ontario. Um, with that said... Uh, I think that the CFL is is a tremendous product. It's it's what I grew up watching. I grew up watching the NFL, of course, but the CFL, um, to me, it's uh, it's a spectacular product. It's high scoring. It's high flying, and and the way that the NFL has kind of changed and shifted, even since I started watching it 20 years ago, there there's a lot of similarity or even move to what I would consider to be kind of CFL like. Uh, product the, uh, the 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 NFL is is higher scoring than ever before. The NFL has more passing than ever before, and that's really been the bread and butter of the CFL since it was founded in the 1950s. A pass heavy game with an open field, 12 players instead of 11, and uh, yeah, a whole heck of a lot of offense, which which I think is what most fans, especially casual fans, really want to see when they tune into a game. Well, you alluded to some of the differences between the NFL and the CFL, and for those of our listeners who aren't aware, you have three downs instead of four up in Canada, which alludes to the name of your network, Three Down Nation. (laughs) Uh, You've got different field dimensions. Give us a quick overview for those who may not know of some of the rule differences between the CFL and the NFL. Well, in the CFL, you need to have uh, 12 players aside, of course. Uh, Defensive lines are required to line up a full yard off the ball. Uh, they're not allowed to line up right on the center, right on the ball, like that is uh, the case in the American uh, American style of the game. Uh, the CFL also has something that uh, throws American viewers for a loop, I think, a little bit the first time they tune into a game, which is called the waggle, uh, kind of uh, uh, up here in Canada. It's, it's essentially pre-snap motion that allows receivers to actually run uh, toward the line of scrimmage and kind of time up, time up their uh, – their sprint with the snap of the football so that by the time they reach the line of scrimmage the ball is snapped they're they're actually at full speed and as i'm sure you can imagine that creates headaches for defensive backs and it it gives receivers an advantage to get down the field quicker get down the field sooner um generally i would say defensively it's a more open game there's more limited uh rules in the cfl about how a defensive back can can handle a receiver how they can you know, uh, uh, guard a receiver. How they can how they can put their hands on a receiver. Uh, there's there's no contact essentially allowed past the five yard mark. So you can jam a guy at the line of scrimmage, but you have to get off them pretty quick. Watching NFL games, you know, every play to my eye as a kind of a CFL guy first, NFL guy second. Every play looks like pass interference, and I have to remind myself, right? That's that's permitted on this side of the border. That's just what DBs do down here. I caught some of the the Falcons uh, Saints game last night, and man, that was fun to watch. Some of those guys going to battle every play, but uh, you know, those are a few of the key differences. There there are more, of course, but uh, the best thing I think that fans can do, regardless of what side of the border they're on, is just check out the other product that's out there. You know, I think CFL fans would be missing out a ton if, if they weren't watching the NFL. And I think NFL fans are missing out a lot if they're not watching the CFL, especially because the CFL kicks off in June, right? It's one thing to uh, to watch exclusively NFL during the NFL season, but you can watch exclusively CFL football for eight, nine, ten weeks before the NFL even kicks off. So it's a great product, and uh, the nuances are the, of the game are, are different, but... Uh, Overall, at the end of the day, it's football, and it's fun to watch. 
John Hodge, beat writer for Three Down Nation, joins us ahead of the 106th Annual Grey Cup occurring Sunday in Edmonton. John, uh, you talked about some of the NCAA players that come up from the States and find careers in the CFL, and you can look up and down all nine rosters in the CFL, and to the average football fan, there's probably a few guys that would jump off the list that you'd recognize if you followed college football regularly outside of Johnny Manziel, American players that come up and how they integrate with the Canadian system and how they integrate on the field. Well, I think one of the, the kind of common themes for, for some of the guys coming up from the States anyways, and this is this is especially relevant because Adam Big Hill, the, uh, the middle linebacker with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, won the uh, the league's most outstanding defensive player award last night. A running theme is just size and frame. Because there's only three downs in the CFL, because the field is larger, defenders generally have to be quicker, faster, and more mobile. That often means a little smaller in frame. And so Adam Big Hill... Uh, actually played for the Saints last season after six years with the BC Lions of the CFL. Um, he, he's only 5'10 uh, on a good day, I think, actually. And he, he weighs approximately 225, 230 pounds. Um, that's kind of your prototypical middle linebacker in the CFL. There are, of course, larger players, uh, but some of the guys are, are smaller, more diminutive. Uh, the Calgary Stampeders, for instance, you're going to see him play on, on Sunday Florin Orimalade, I think I got that correct. Mm-hmm. He's a rookie defensive end who's five foot nine. It's it's strange to watch a defensive end play professional football at five foot nine. That said, his bull rush is something to behold, and he gets to the quarterback. And that's one of the things I love about the CFL. If a guy shows up to an NFL camp at five nine and he's not playing running back and he's not a kicker. There's a good chance he's getting sent home that day. Uh, this kid, uh, Florin Orimalade, can show up on uh, you know day one of training camp in the CFL, and they say, "Really, you're five nine? Okay, well let's let's see what you can do." And if he gets to the passer, he can make the team, and that's exactly what he did this year as as a rookie. Uh, now he's playing in the Grey Cup. He's playing for a championship on Sunday for uh, a team that that won 13 regular season games, finished atop the West Division, and and a lot of people are picking to win. On Sunday, uh, this will be the Stamps' third straight Great Cup. They've they've lost the last two, um, but uh, you know it it, it 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 just I think it makes for great stories when guys like Big Kill, guys like Rimalade, J.C. Sherritt, star middle linebacker for the Edmonton Eskimos, uh, where the game is being played on on Sunday. He's another one. He's five nine on a good day uh, and a little bit lighter even. I think two hundred and twenty pounds, and and he's a kid who again never would have gotten a look in the NFL being that size unless you can maybe play safety. But, uh, you know, he's a middle linebacker. He's got that skill set, and, and, and he has tremendous skills. He, he plays well. He's been in the CFL for close to a decade now. Um, you know, a ton of fun to watch, but just a guy who, who without the CFL probably wouldn't have got a chance to play professional football. John, let's talk about the matchup coming up this weekend. You've got Calgary, as you mentioned, taking on the Ottawa Red Blacks. Not too much of an unfamiliar opponent right there. Tell me about what we're going to see on the field, what to expect from Edmonton on Sunday. Well, two years ago, these two teams met in, in the Grey Cup, and it was a very interesting year. The Calgary Stampeders finished 15-2-1, by far and away the top team in the league. The Ottawa Red Blacks, conversely, finished 500. They finished 9-9. And uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, the Calgary Stampeders were heavily favored going into the game. Everybody picked them to win, and uh, Ottawa came out and beat them. 
and and the same happened last year, albeit with a different representative from the East Division. Calgary won a ton of games in the regular season. I believe they finished fourteen and four. They met an Ottawa Red Blacks team, or pardon me, a Toronto Argonauts team in the in the Grey Cup at eight nine and one, and uh, Toronto upset them again on uh, on the strength of a couple of of big plays, a hundred yard touchdown pass, uh, a hundred yard uh, fumble return touchdown. And uh, so the pressure is all on Calgary this year. The pressure is all on Calgary. Ottawa won this game just two years ago. Calgary just had their star quarterback, Bo Levi Mitchell, win the league's most outstanding player award last night. It's the second time he's been able to do that as, remember this, uh, as a member of the Stampeders since, uh, since joining the CFL in 2012, uh, native of uh, Katy, Texas, Friday Night Lights. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of good stories going into the game. Ottawa, I think, is actually a better team this year than they were two years ago when they won the Cup. They won 11 regular season games. I think they have more balance on offense. They're able to run the ball with William Powell, who uh, they're running back who has some NFL uh, uh, history uh, playing uh, down south. Uh, I think their defense is more complete. Uh, they have an outstanding defensive coordinator who's who's, who's in their first year there uh, uh, by the well by the name of Noel Thorpe. Uh, so I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be uh, action packed. I think it's going to be uh, evenly paced. And I I'm still it's Friday and I'm still struggling to, to decide who I'm going to pick to win the game. Well, you briefly mentioned the CFL award last night. A lot of those were decided. Tell me your initial reaction to a lot of those. Some of that were uh, deserved, not deserved. Maybe surprised you for good or bad. I mean, I, I think generally the uh, the the awards went the right way. The one that that made me raise my eyebrows, and it's not just because he's a he's a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and actually a native of Winnipeg, Manitoba. But Andrew Harris, the uh, the star running back for the Blue Bombers. Uh, did not win the league's most outstanding Canadian award. He lost it to Brad Sinopoli, who is a uh, slot back with the uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, he'll play on Sunday. Um, Sinopoli broke a CFL record for most receptions ever by a Canadian in one season um, with well over 100 catches in 18 games, which is spectacular. Harris, however, um, as uh, just a dynamic player, running the ball, catching it out of the backfield, uh, even in blocking, spectacular protection back. Um, he had 1,800 yards from scrimmage, and he had 11 touchdowns. Sinopoli only had four touchdowns and uh, was 500 yards behind him in yards from scrimmage. Um, I thought that was a bit of a robbery, but again, the two actually met for the award last year as finalists, and Harris won. So if you're going to see that go either way, maybe it's nice that both guys get an opportunity to win it in back-to-back years facing off against each other. Other than that, not not many surprises. Bo Levi Mitchell was was going to win that award. He he's he's the quarterback on the best team in the, in the league, and that's something that uh, you know will will often end with uh, a recognition of of MVP or MOP in Canada, the most outstanding rather than most valuable. That uh, you know the award that the NFL hands out. But uh, you know it uh, it was a good night, a good celebration of the league, and uh, you know I'm I'm excited for the game on Sunday. I'll put it that way. John Hodge, beat writer for Three Down Nation. Join us to talk about the 106th Annual Grey Cup coming up on Sunday from Edmonton. John, thanks so much for taking the time. Looking forward to hopefully talking to you again here in the future. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. This is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back and talk Northern Michigan hockey with Ryan Stieg. That's next on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Casino Barriga and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you, joined in studio by Ryan Stieg of the Mining Journal. Once again, our thanks to John Hodge from the 
Three Down Nation giving us the preview on the Grey Cup coming up this weekend. You like the CFL, Ryan? You ever follow that, you watch know, those games? No, the CFL is kind of a fun league. I watched CFL games before, um, never been to one, uh, but they're entertaining, and they really get hyped, uh, hyped up for the Grey Cup. Mm-hmm. And I try to watch it every year. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to this year, but I try because it's just – it's a fun event, and it's football, and, it, and it's not as messed up as arena football is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which it's, like, completely off the wall. It's just you have an extra guy, you have, you know, fewer downs, mm-hmm. you have – you can actually get a point, one point. You which can. Is impossible, unless you have an extra point in NFL, it's about the only way you can get it. But uh, it's just – it's a little spin on it. I know – People are very traditional when it comes to football, but in Canada, they do things a little differently, and it's just fun in its own way. Well, and you got Johnny Manziel to throw into the mix up there now, yeah. too. I did catch a few of those games this summer where Johnny Football was playing up there. Uh, uh, he's with the Alouettes, isn't he? Or did I don't he switch, know. Uh, or he's with the Tiger Cats, I think, now. There's, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I try to keep <laughs> yeah, track he's, he's of all got, those teams up there. Yeah. Cool names, though. There are cool <laughs> names. Yeah. You I know, mean, I, I like the Alouettes jerseys, I think, probably the best. Mm-hmm. I always seem to like that red, white, and blue color scheme. Uh-huh. And I don't know if that's a Montreal thing or whatever yeah. area they're in, but what have you. Now, a great cup coming up on Sunday between Calgary and Ottawa. That should be a lot of fun, to be honest with you. I might check it out, you know, on ESPN2. But I think primarily my attention will be focused on the Vikings-Packers on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be doing on that. Yeah. But fun, the Stampeders versus the Red Blacks. Yes. I would see the Red Blacks as kind of a default name that they couldn't come up with something because mm-hmm. we'll just throw colors together and see what happens. But it's going to be fun. I'll probably catch at least a little bit of it. There was a high school I grew up near back in Iowa. Their nickname was the Orabs because their colors were orange and black, so they combined orange and black for huh. Orabs. Huh. You have the Marquette Redmen, I guess. Uh, and yeah. You throw a few colors in there every yeah, once I in mean, a while. The yeah. green wave at Tulane. Yeah, I mean, it it adds a little something. I just think Red Blacks is just like, I mean, unless that's what the fans wanted, it yeah. seems like it was a lazy effort to name a franchise. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's uh, it, its its own little fun niche of fans. Um, I'm a fan, not as obviously as much as like the NFL or college football, but mm-hmm. I pay attention to it. Well, hey, let's talk Northern Michigan hockey and some basketball as well. Hockey on the road this weekend. They've got a big road trip coming up, and this is a pivotal point in the season for them. Two games this weekend starting tonight at Lake Superior State. Make the three-hour trip over to the east to Sault Ste. Marie, and then they head down to South Bend, Indiana. They take on Notre Dame, the defending national runner-ups. This is a really pivotal point. It's not going to be easy, but we're really going to see what this team's made out of for better or worse. Yeah, I mean, they're... It's hard to put a finger on Northern right now because they're they'll look really good at times, mm-hmm. and then other times they've looked really bad, and it's it's like this inconsistency. Uh, their offense is struggling this year, as I put in my preview, shameless plug, <laughs> that came out Wednesday. Um, it's they're fifty third out of sixty mm-hmm. in offense, and that's not good for a team that's coming in with a lot of good offensive players. So I don't know if it's just a, sh- a slow start for them, if they're just I don't know, trying to get in the mix. I know Denver Pierce isn't in the lineup right now, um, so that kind of messes up their top line. So they're trying to f- reconfigure some things. On the plus side, Darren Craighead's off to a, a great mm-hmm. start. He's he's emerging as the clutch player. You know, you thought it might be Loggins or Rockwood, but it's actually Craighead who's taking the charge. I, 
I think this is a weekend where they need to get two um, just for a confidence builder because you, you're going against a national team like Notre Dame. Notre Dame was in the national championship last year. Uh, trendy pick to maybe make the Frozen Four again this year. It's And it's one game. Now, it's easier to beat a team like Notre Dame or any of these other major powerhouse schools in one night than if to try to sweep them on a weekend. Mm-hmm. So if Northern can come in and jump out early on Tuesday, yes, it's on a Tuesday, <laughs> you know, I, I think they could, you know, maybe pull an upset, but they'll need to get something out of this weekend. They can't afford to get swept because that'll just kill whatever the momentum that they had coming in from the Anchorage series. Uh, when I talked to Grant Batoni, he said on Friday night against Anchorage, they played a C-plus game, and then he said on Saturday night they played an A game, probably the closest they've come to playing an A game all year. So it's like, even though the score was 2-1 <laughs> on Saturday, Grant said that that was the best game they've actually played this year. So maybe they're tra- they're starting to come together, and uh, but this is a big weekend. You know, you have the Capo Cup up for grabs each year. Uh, kind of one of those forgotten trophies, but it's a big deal up here. So a lot riding in this series, really much. Tell me what Lake Superior State is like. How are they built as a team? What do they bring to the table? A lot of a lot of upperclassmen really rely on their seniors. Anthony Nellis is a really good forward. Uh, he's leading their team in points. I'm pretty sure it's 13 that he has right now leading their you know team in goals. They've got uh, Gage Torrell. He's a good he's a good forward to back him up. Uh, Nick Kossoff, their goaltender is undefeated this year. Mm. They do this uh, flip-flop thing each weekend that they've gone where they have Kossoff play on Friday, and they have their backup, Merrick's Mightens. I love <laughs> I love foreign-sounding names because it creates a little uh, mm-hmm. little fun element to the roster. But uh, he plays Saturday, and he's about 500. So you're, Northern will probably get a guy tonight who hasn't lost this year and has played really well, and they'll play a guy who's done pretty well on Saturday if they keep the trend up. So... I'm expecting good goaltending tonight because you got Tolvin in against Kossoff. I, it's hard to predict really because you get Lake State's coming in. They're ranked 20. They're a surprise this year. They beat Michigan in in Sault Ste. Marie. They went down to Bowling Green and put up five goals and shut out the Falcons mm-hmm. on one of the nights. So, it's. It's going to be a good weekend, but Northern needs to, at the very least, come out with a split this weekend. I would like to see what they have to uh, go through and what they can do uh, by the time you and I talk again next week, which, by the way, you're coming on Wednesday following the Notre Dame series. It'll be really interesting to see how different this team looks and how uh, the season, what the complexity of that looks like by then. Yeah, it's... You know, people ask me, when do you start to make a conclusion on how a team's going? And it's like, the first conclusion you make is usually around Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Because then you're about a month into the year, uh, maybe a little more, maybe five, six weeks, and you can see where the team is at. If you really want a conclusion, you look at Christmas. Because then you're halfway through the year, what's the offense looking like? What's the defense, goaltending? And you can get a picture. Is this team capable of putting together a second-half run? Are they going to, if they're off to a good start, are they prone to fall apart in the second half? And that's when I make the determination, and that's what Grandpa Tony told me. He said, if you talk to me after Christmas, I will have a better idea of where we are at as a team, mm-hmm. and I can tell you how a good <laughs> what my idea is, how the second half is probably going to go. And people forget that Northern was a second-half team yeah. last year, and the year before that, they were a second-half team. Um 
for some reason they kind of slog their way through the first half and then they start clicking after Christmas. I've been trying to figure out why that is, but that's I guess their mantra <laughs> right now. So, um, but if they can come in to the holiday break and get in, get some wins in there, maybe an upset of Notre Dame, get some more home wins. Get a sweep of Michigan Tech would be huge, um, just because the whole rivalry thing. It there there's time. I mean, mm-hmm. there, th- nobody should hit the panic button like I know some people are doing on Twitter and on Facebook that you know the season's over that they should just throw in the towel and why am I going to go to games this year? And it's just like no, it's like there's there's a lot of time left, so be a little more patient. Ryan Steak from the Mining Journal is with us. Let's switch to college hoops. Northern Michigan men's basketball, 5-0 and start of the season. They swept a couple of games up at Hillsdale over the week. The women are off to a 4-1 and start. They're in progress right now. Minute 44 to go in the fourth quarter, and they trail 61-59 to against Concordia St. Paul over at the Radisson Hotel Classic in Minneapolis. So that in itself kind of amplifies the season the northern women's basketball team has had they have had close games where they have had to grind it out be gritty and show off their experience as well as their depth it's kind of been the way the whole season's gone they're showing it in this game there you know we talked to Troy Matson on Tuesday and he said that everybody's contributing right now mm-hmm. I mean it's it's not just one person going off each you know each night it's everybody's contributing you're going to see a cup you know a couple of women with double-digit points, and it's not always the same, too. I mean, I think one of the games, you know, Darby Youngstrom was seen as, like, the go-to player. I think she only put up, like, eight one night, and you had two other players that put up, like, 14 and 16 and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So everybody's giving their best effort, and they're not as top-heavy as they used to be. So <clears throat> they're a fun team to watch. They were predicted to win the North this year. They're, you know, a lot of hype surrounding them. I was wondering myself, because I know how they battled injuries last year, you know, coming in the season, how are they going to do? And they're off to a good start. You know, there's still time left. They could, you know, pull off a win today. Uh, Concordia St. Paul is a good basketball program, mm-hmm. so the fact that they're hanging tough with them is a good thing. Then you go over the men's side, who are undefeated, yep. <clears throat> and after an amazing start, um, 5-0 and going into this tournament. They took down Ohio Dominican in dominant fashion. They got out a win over Hillsdale. They're a fun team. I know that there was a lot of talk about the hockey team, and rightfully so, because you know there was a lot of hype going in about them. Mm-hmm. But I think people should take a look at the men's team this year. The men's basketball team is going to be good. It's like everything that Bill Saul has been building for. Like he came in to a complete mess and has tried to get the team out of it. And when you come into a program and you're just expected to, hey, this is a disaster, fix it, <laughs> it's going it's gonna, to it's gonna be a while. And they've gotten better with each year. Last year was their first trip to the GLIAC tournament in for, I mean, can you remember, like no. at least a decade, something like that? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're back in there. They're, they got above 500. They got some signature wins. Now they're undefeated to start the year. They've got two great senior players in Naba Eccles and Isaiah Johnson. They've got a good, you know, shooting guard in Sam Taylor, who's a defensive specialist and can hit the three ball really nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, he's one of the greatest quotes I've ever gotten at a press conference. Mm. That's, that's, that's beside the point, but he's just a fun interview. Um, and, you know, Miles Howard's a good defensive star. Um, you got some 
you know, up-and-coming players. Uh, they're wondering, you know, next year, Carson Wonders from Iron Mountain might mm-hmm. get a little more playing time. You know, Marcus Kuczynski's off to a great start. You know, you know, maybe he's starting to emerge as a player. There's... There's a lot of talent on that team, and I'm hoping you know fans are starting to notice it more, and they'll get more people to come into the Barry. It's an, I, I know it's an odd atmosphere when you're trying to play basketball in a hockey arena, <laughs> but they're a fun team to watch, mm-hmm. and they can. I mean, they'll throw it on dunks. They can. They, you know, they handle the ball well. They can hit the three ball. They can, just good defensive play. I mean. This is a team that could make some noise. Um, the way they're playing, they could win the Gleak North. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's a long way to go, but with the start they're having, it's a distinct possibility. They're they're a good team to watch, and I'm hoping to finally get to see them in person now uh, once they get back home. Well, how about we switch to uh, some major college hoops right before we go to break? Michigan in action right now. They're having no problems with Chattanooga early, 30-14 to 14 with 7.41 to go. The locks. <laughs> The ninth-ranked Wolverines are off to a 16-point lead, 7.47 to go in the first half of that game. Uh, Coming up tonight, number 11, Michigan State hosting Texas. That game is at 6.30. Wisconsin falling earlier today in a battle of top 25 teams. They took on Virginia. They battled for Atlantis in the battle for Atlantis championship, 53-46. Virginia, fourth-ranked Cavaliers get the win over the Badgers. Three other top 25 matchups going on tonight, including one top five matchup as Tennessee takes on Kansas at 9 o'clock this evening. That game should be a lot of fun. Meanwhile, you've got, uh, let's see, LSU and Florida State. They play in a tournament. And North Carolina, they are seventh ranked in the country, coming off a loss last night. They're playing right now, and they're losing to 17th ranked UCLA by 9, 729 to play in the opening half. Football earlier today, some good ones on. Eastern Michigan, 28-20 winners over Kent State. Did you watch the Iowa game? I did watch the Iowa win over game. Nebraska. Last <clears throat> second field last goal. Last second field goal is a fun one. Uh, you know, Nebraska was playing for pride at that point. They're yep. trying to <laughs> end their season on a good note after talk about underachieving, yeah. you know, this year and uh, end up coming up short. Iowa's, you know, 8-4. and four. Hopefully they'll get a decent bowl game. Mm-hmm. Um, they're thinking the Holiday Bowl. Um you know, which is you know a decent bowl game. I thought they would maybe get a little higher, but mm-hmm. um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I I don't know what to make of Kirk Ferentz. You know, I don't because neither do people in Iowa. Uh, it's like every time you think, okay, he's gone. Yep. They, they're not going to put up with this any longer. Then he'll somehow manage to put together a decent year, mm-hmm. and they'll end up throwing another extension at him, mm-hmm. which will frustrate fans. And then they'll be you know mediocre. And then okay, he's got to be fired. And then again, he'll put up a. It's weird, it's frustrating, but hey, they're 8-4, and four. it's a good year. I can tell you firsthand, every five years there's a season where I was worthy of a BCS Bowl or something like that, and that's what draws the extension, and you get this cycle of repeat, underachievement, what have you. That's just a Hawkeye <laughs> football way. I, I, I feel like... It's like it's almost like he has the state hostage in a way. He does. He definitely does. <laughs> Highest paid employee in the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, all right, if you give me extension, I'll, I'll make us mediocre for four years, <laughs> and then I'll give us a really good one, so you can give me more money. Seven so. and five, baby. <laughs> but we're gonna reel off a ten and two exactly. sometime real Some soon. Point, yeah. Other uh, rivalry games tonight, Oregon-Oregon State just underway. Oregon has a 7-0 lead. Oklahoma's at West Virginia. That game could be a lot of fun. And then the Apple Cup, Washington at Washington State. Mike Leach quotes. Gotta love those. Expect a few of those tonight. Uh, Last night, of course, the brawl as Mississippi State demolishes Ole Miss. 
That was the Egg Bowl, and this is the Sports Pen. We'll take a break, and uh, we'll come back. We'll have the second half of the show. We'll talk Matthew Stafford and his future, what it looks like with the Lions. That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and ESPN-UPF. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only to Jibboy Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Ryan Stieg of the Mining Journal in studio with us. I'm Tanner Hoops. How was your Thanksgiving yesterday? That was rude of me. I didn't ask once you got in the studio. But uh, you watch a little bit of football, eat some food, spend I, time with family? I uh, I didn't spend time with my family. I, uh, I did that the previous week when I was mm-hmm. down in Florida. But we... Uh, um, wife and I had some, you know, we made some food. We, you know, watched the Lions fail. Yep. <laughs> and fail they did. Yes, they did. I, um, and then I tried to keep tabs on, you know, the Washington-Dallas game. Not really entirely my focus. I always tend to focus on the Lions game. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched more of the Falcon-Saints game. And then uh, just kind of mixed around, watched some I don't know, watched a couple movies, kind of chilled out. It was it was nice. It's been a long week, and it was just a day to just relax. And I think that's what day was for everybody. You know, you can just watch sports and eat a lot of food. It's it's almost like a perfect day for a lot of people. Well, unfortunately, it was not a perfect day not for Matthew Stafford yes. and the Detroit Lions. Now, Stafford is a guy that I said on the show last week, I don't think that he's played up to his full potential in the NFL. I don't think we've ever seen how good he really can be. And he's got talent. Make no mistake about that. Does he have subpar head coaching? Yeah. I mean, they (laughs) thought they would make the change with Patricia. I don't know that they got better uh, with Matt. Maybe just something different. Um, Jim Bob Cooter, you know, he can certainly put some blame on him for everything that's going on. But at what point do you look at a guy like Stafford and realize he's got so much talent? And when do you start to put a little bit of the blame on him for the Lions' lack of success? I think you can put a little bit of it on right now. Um, I, it's just, it, it's got to be frustrating because he's a, he's a really good quarterback. I would say top ten in the league, mm-hmm. maybe even top, I'd say maybe top eight. Even he just he can put up so many yards, and some of his touchdowns are real highlight reel ones. He can he can lead lead good drives, and you know when it's crunch time, you always wonder if he's going to be able to pull it off, but. Just the mistakes this year, they're, I don't know, they're uncharacteristic mistakes. Now, I haven't been, I, I haven't followed the Lions diligently, mm-hmm. you know, over the years since he, because I was, you know, bouncing all over the place, <laughs> you know. But I, I, I wonder for Lions fans if they're reaching their breaking point with him. Because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, those interceptions were so bad yeah. yesterday. And he looked... He's looked good at times, but sometimes you wonder what his decisions are. I mean, that I still chuckle. I mean, at that game against Minnesota where he pitched the ball mm-hmm. <laughs> behind him, and it was just like, what are you doing? Maybe it's, the worst play of his career. Yeah, it, it just it summed up that game perfectly, and it just he, I don't know. You wonder how much longer the Lions are going to put time behind him. I mean, mm-hmm. they kind of have to because they threw a bunch of money at him. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, are they going to start to maybe draft a quarterback, start looking, maybe looking at the future? I wouldn't be surprised if this offseason they try to find a quarterback, mm. whether it's a – I mean, if there's one available. depends on how they finish. Mm. If they, you know, finish – like with like five wins, you know, you might actually have a good shot at getting a decent quarterback. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they'll probably start looking in that direction. I don't think they're going to give up on him entirely. But you know, you wonder how much time he's he's got left because he's he's at thirty. Mm-hmm. Usually at thirty, you're starting to get more into the like the tail end of your career. You're at the halfway point. Um, you know, a lot of really good quarterbacks. 38, 39, 40 is when they start to hang it up. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, does he maybe have seven, eight years left in him? How much longer? If the Lions do deal him, who's going to want him? Mm-hmm. Especially with as he's starting to get older. It's it's an it's a interesting situation, and uh, I don't know. I think you can put some blame on him. It's not all the blame, but no. I think you can blame some of them. Him. Right now, I put about twenty percent. Yeah, I would put like about that, that twenty twenty five percent. Some of it's on Matt Patricia, who sometimes just looks lost out yes. there. <laughs> a lot of it's on Jim Bob Cooter. And a lot of it's on Tudor too. Who, I mean, and I talked about this in the column before. People have said that defense have said they know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they, you know, you don't want to be a predictable offense. And the Jets said it. I think you now the Patriots said it too. I mean, somehow. Despite knowing that, New England ended up losing that game to the mm-hmm. Lions. But they can spot what the play is going to be. And if you're giving off those kind of signals <laughs> right away, it's like you're doomed from the start. And so you could put a lot of blame on Jim Bob Cooter for that problem. Mm-hmm. Patricia's making some questionable decisions. I, going for it on fourth down, going for two yesterday mm-hmm. when he didn't need to, and then... Uh, so, I I don't know. It's like <laughs> I, I want to believe he could be a good coach, but, mm-hmm. you know, if, if this is just first-year jitters. But then you look at some other coaches who get in their first year, and they're doing perfectly fine. Matt Nagy. Yeah, you know. I mean, Sean McVay looked fine. Yep. <laughs> you know, he's, you know, like a world beater at this mm-hmm. point. So you wonder, where's he at? And I, I'm not going to completely throw on the towel on him after this year, but... Next year will be a pivotal year for him because, okay, you know, people cut you slack your first year, but then it's like, okay, what are you going to do on this? So there's a lot of potential for Lions this year. I picked them to get a wild card. They're not going to get a wild card. I think last, last, this loss basically clinched that they're not going to make the playoffs mm-hmm. this year, and uh, it's a missed opportunity for them, and uh, it'll be interesting what people think. Well, I half agree with you about Patricia's future. I agree with you that the right move is to bring him back. Next yeah, well, yeah, season. very much so, yeah. But I don't agree that there's a possibility things will get better. I mean, there's always a possibility of it, but I've seen enough from Matt Patricia to know that things are not going to get better for the Lions <laughs> under him and with the personnel group they have right now. What I've seen from them on defense is they've upgraded on defense. It seems like they've gotten better. Well, Talent-wise, they've gotten more talented, but they haven't gotten better. Darius Slay is an all-pro corner. You bring in Snacks Harrison from the Giants, one of the best pass rushers in the game. Ziggy Hansa is up there. I mean, you have a really good defense, and Patricia's a defensive coach. And if he's not winning with this group, that's concerning. If he's given up uh, the numbers that he is and getting decimated by guys like Trubisky 
and then beat by a guy like Chase Daniel. <laughs> That's really concerning. And to me, that doesn't make me think the Patricia system will ever work in Detroit. They'll bring him back next year, as they should, because maybe a miracle will happen. I just don't ever see it working out for him in Detroit. Okay. I, uh, I, I, don't want, I never want to just give up on people because mm-hmm. it's just my mantra. I mean, I was a teacher for, you know, before I began. Mm-hmm. So like, you don't want to give up on, you know, I never gave up on kids. Um, obviously with adults, you know, it's a different, yeah. and coaches, it's a different story. But so I want, I don't want to just give up on him entirely, but next year is going to be very pivotal for him. Mm-hmm. Can he, cause he had a good team this year yeah, that should have probably made the playoffs and they're not going to. No. So next year, what are you going to do with what you got? Cause you know, Lions fans have been suffering for far too long and mm-hmm. won a winner, and it looked like they were possibly going to get a winner. This was the best Lions team in how long? Yeah. They, they actually mean, had a running game. They had a running game until Johnson got hurt, you know. So, I mean, that's not entirely, you know, that's not anybody's real fault there. But mm-hmm. he has, you know, the receiving core was good. They dealt Tate, which annoys me because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, he was their number one guy. You know, people are complaining, saying, you know, somebody's got to get Matt Stafford weapons. He has weapons. They're just not mm-hmm. using them properly. Mm-hmm. It just, um, yeah, I I don't think the Tate trade was very smart. And uh, it's just, it seems like they've focused so much on improving that defense that they'll disregard the offense and they'll sacrifice the offense mm-hmm. to make the defense better. It just, it's weird. Uh People are thinking, kind of giving up on Bob Quinn and his yeah. plan, you know, because I understand that the Patriots have so much success and that you think that if you take something or someone from that, it's going to mean you're going to be successful. That's mm-hmm. not the case. It's everything's perfect over there and it's worked out because it's a good fit, you know taking a coach from that and thinking they're going to be extremely successful, that's not always going to happen. I mean, you look at Josh McDaniels, <laughs> the disaster had in Denver, and then spurning the Colts to stay at the OC. I have a friend of mine who's out in Maine who despises Josh McDaniels. So, yeah. it's, uh, so does Tom Brady. Yeah, it's, so it's just you can't just think that just because it's working for somebody else, it's going to work for you. You, know? you brought in Bob Quinn, who's with the Patriots, now you're wondering what he's gonna do. You got Matt Patricia, and you're just the mindset. Just because it works somewhere else doesn't mean it's gonna work for you. Ryan Steger, the Mining Journal, in with us. Before we go to break, let me ask you this: Who is the most unathletic-looking professional athlete between Matthew Stafford or Phil Kessel? Which of those guys would you never guess if you saw him on the street is a professional athlete? Because those are two of the most unathletic-looking people ever. And yet they're some of the best athletes on the planet right now. Yeah. Um, I'll top you with that one. Okay. Bartolo Colon. Oh, <laughs> Bartolo he's still Colon. got it, too. Yeah, yeah, Bartolo Colon does not look like a professional athlete. No. Nope. And somehow he's still a decent pitcher. Yeah, he's still effective. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's uncanny. But between the two of them, I'd, I'd probably go Phil Kessel. I just, would, too. Yeah, just because, you know... He readily admits he eats, eats fast food a lot. Mm-hmm. He just, you know, he looks, he's not like your typical skinny hockey player. It looks no. kind of like a bowling ball sometimes out there. He's but he's, guy. yeah, he's a big guy and he scores goals. He he's effective. Well, he he's skates fast, well. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's confusing, but it gives us all hope that maybe <laughs> <laughs> I don't look like a professional athlete, but maybe I am in my own way, you know?
Ryan Stieg from the Mining Journal with us. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. We'll talk college football. We'll finish out the sports pen in the work week on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops joined by Ryan Stieg of the Mining Journal. Friday afternoon, Sports Pen and Thanksgiving week, about to commence. Uh, Concordia St. Paul has picked up a 63-61 victory excuse me, over the Northern uh, Michigan women's basketball squad out at the Radisson Classic. In the Twin Cities, Northern Falls to 4-2 and two on the season. We're keeping track of that one. Unfortunately, they couldn't keep up. Good news, though, on the hockey side, the Red Wings putting on a show at the Verizon Center right now. They're looking pretty good against the Washington Capitals. one nothing lead about the midway point in the opening period. Uh, they just get to the end of the first period now. Detroit has the edge and shots on goal 15-5 to over the defending cup champs. Well, how about that? <laughs> I, right after the losing streak ends at the hands of Craig Anderson, the winning streak, I'm sorry, ends at the hands of Craig Anderson, and look what they're doing now. Yeah, now they're clicking again. Again, mm-hmm. not buying into it yet, but it's nice to see. It shows that there's some promise in the future. Uh, on the plus side for Northern Women's fans, they're going to get a win mm-hmm. tomorrow. They're playing Jamestown, mm-hmm. an NAIA school from North Dakota. Um, it was a decent NAIA school, but, you know, Northern should pound them pretty badly so they'll get back on track tomorrow and then they'll maybe come in with a little more momentum for the next week ryan steeg of the mining journal with us once again well ryan i wanted to ask you this when you look at a coach at the college football scene the landscape of college football right now and you wonder how much is a coach worth or how much does the school and its reputation matter when you factor into how effective a head coach can be like who who comes to mind when you think of the top tier head coaches? Obviously, Saban and Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. Anybody else that you could put in that group of guys, that elite class? Is there anybody else that comes to mind off the top of your head? For me, those two first and foremost. And after that, there's some guys that are kind of on the cusp. Kind of on the cusp, But yeah. I can't think of anybody else who's had a sustained level of dominance like those two have had over college football for the last how long? Um, That's... About all I can think of, because yeah. it's like there's some coaches who are good for maybe two, three years, mm-hmm. and then they start to fade away. I mean, for a brief period of time, wasn't Les Miles like on the top of the he world? He was. <laughs> and now he's going to Kansas, yep. and we'll be eating grass out in Lawrence now. Um, so it's, I would say those two, I know a lot of people want to put Harbaugh up there, but yeah. until he gets to the college football playoff, I don't think you can put him up he's there. He's about eight quarters away from Yeah, that. yeah, he's, he's a little... Little on the outside looking in. Um, state fans like D'Antonio. Yeah. I would say he's just on the outside looking in. Yeah. Because um, when they're good, they're good. Yeah, but yeah. they've been way too inconsistent. Over yeah. There. This year, this year they're mediocre at best. Yeah. Uh, they just, you know, I mean, yeah, they've battled some injuries, but there's been questionable coaching decisions. Lewerke is not no. achieving what he thought it'd be. Some people thought he was a dark horse. Um, you know Heisman candidate, and mm-hmm. that was even on the radar this close. year. So it's, I would say those two maybe. I think if Harbaugh gets into the playoff this year, you can put him up there. So we've got those two that are head and shoulders above the rest of the college football coaches in the land. 
How about the worst Power 5 football programs in the land? You think of schools like Illinois, Rutgers, Maryland, anything, anyone outside the Big Ten that comes to mind? Can- Maybe Baylor, where they are right now? Kansas. Kansas. This, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Pac-12, probably, it used to be Washington State until Leach got there. Yeah. Um, Oregon State, probably, yeah. just so far they've fallen. It makes me sad. Mm-hmm. I, I, I grew up a Beavers fan, so mm. that hurts. Um, let's see. Big 12, probably Kansas and Baylor. Kansas and Baylor, yeah. yeah. Um, Iowa State's like hit or miss. Like Sometimes they'll pull upsets and blow your mind, mm-hmm. and but they never actually achieve the level. They're on the rise with Matt Campbell. Yeah, they yeah. hit a home run with that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's see. SEC... <laughs> Vandy, um, maybe. Vandy, they had that brief. They're better with Derek Mason, but still. Um, I'm trying to think. I it used to be Kentucky. Used to, yeah, now Kentucky's playing well. It used yeah. to be, you know, Missouri was questionable, and now they're, you know, mm-hmm. they're doing pretty decent. So, I, I would probably say Vanderbilt still, but even then, not much. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of them are in the Big Ten. Yes, they are. Yeah, Illinois. Rutgers, I'm still trying to figure out how Rutgers managed to get a spot in the Big Ten. I know mm-hmm. they're thinking, hey, let's capitalize on the New York market, but it's not like Rutgers is big out there. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's a lot of New Yorkers who follow Rutgers football. So that, uh, Maryland, you can throw them into the mix. Uh, you know, you could probably throw the Gophers in there, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. How about someone like UConn, maybe? Yeah, you could, you know. UConn could go up there. Are, are they in the AC? Yeah, they're not Power 5, but they're still big enough yeah, to count them. Um, put them in there. I would, anybody in the ACC that jumps out at you? It used to be Syracuse, and they've And now Syracuse is, forward, yeah, is, is, yeah. is ranked. It's They're ranked. They're, I mean, until that game against Notre Dame, mm. they actually looked really good. They really year. did. Yeah. They um, really did. But I don't fault them for that because Notre Dame's a national title contender. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there's only a few, and weirdly enough, three of them are in the Big Ten. So let's think about <laughs> this. Let's say Nick Saban. It'll never happen, but he leaves Alabama to take over Rutgers. What would matter more in that situation, the head coach and what he can bring to a program, or the reputation that the school has built? What? I guess what I'm asking, a good way to phrase this, how many years before Nick Saban could go above 500 at a school like Rutgers? Four. Big four? I would say three, at three, maybe earliest, mm-hmm. you know, and then four, I think he can get there just because he's that big of a recruiter and he's that well of a coach, but he'd be inherited. Rutgers is a mess, yeah. and even the even the greatest coaches take a little time to mm-hmm. get something out of a mess. So, I mean, even when he came into Alabama, I mean, he lost to Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Warhawks, you know, that one year, and that was an embarrassing thing. But year three, year four, he's back. He's in the national title, con, you know, consideration. Mm-hmm. So it just takes a little bit. I think it would take about three, four years, probably – Three to get 500, four to actually be like a legit program, like top 25, top mm-hmm. 15 kind of a program. Now, I'm wondering, and you had the perfect segue earlier on, Les Miles is headed to Kansas, one of the worst Division One programs in college football, at least of the Power Five conferences. Les Miles certainly is not Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, but he's got to be pretty close, especially for a guy who's been out of football for the last couple of years. <laughs> 
How long until the Jayhawks can go above 500 with Les Miles as head coach? I would say he's not Nick Saban, so I would say four. Okay. Four to get to 500. And I think they're they're willing to give, um, you know, Les a little a longer leash. Yeah. Like, hey, we know we suck. <laughs> you know, so we know it's going to be a while. So. Well, and that's where the, the tradition, know. the reputation the school has comes into play. Kansas is not contend for a national title or you're gone. It's don't embarrass us. Yeah, yeah. LSU fired him because he couldn't beat Nick Saban and yeah. because LSU was not a college football playoff team. Yeah. yeah. And all he, I think he's a very capable coach, and I think he can win at Kansas, but it's not going to be a, a, a quick thing. It's going to mm-hmm. say, I would say, four, you know, to 500 and getting into a bowl game just because it, it's not a – it's not a football school. It's a no. basketball school. There was mm-hmm. a, a time, you know, when, remember when Todd Reesing was there as their quarterback and Mark Mangino was their head coach, where they flirted with that Orange Bowl bid. The 08 <laughs> year, season. Yeah, that, you know, they had that one, like, two-year period where they looked good. But, you know, it's just, it's not who they are. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's like, it's kind of like Duke in a way. Remember how Duke football was so bad, mm-hmm. you know, and then Cutcliffe took over and they became decent. Mm-hmm. But they're never going to be what they, you know, no. You may aspire to be like a national title contender because they're a basketball school. Mm-hmm. You know, just like Kentucky. Kentucky's a basketball school. It's just, it's it's not where their emphasis is. You know, it's almost like, hey, we're happy with a bull bid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, good for you, coach. You know, you're six and six. You're, you know, here's your raise, your extension. Yeah, yeah. Here's your another two years. You know, and that's where it is. So I think. I think the bar is low there. I think he can, you know, put together a decent team, but it's going to be a while. Where does he rank among some of the coaches in the Big 12? And how does he recruit differently at a place like Kansas compared to LSU? I think at LSU, you know, your marketing thing was, hey, we're in the SEC. We're the big-time league. You know, we have a lot of tradition here. We have a rabid fan base. You're going to be playing in front of a sellout crowd every night. Mm-hmm. We have the resources. The department puts a ton of money into football, you know, just like Alabama does. You know, they're basketball teams on the outside looking in, but they have a lot of money into football. So, you know, you could market LSU a lot more easily. And whereas Kansas, it's like, okay, yeah, we're a basketball school, but you'll get a lot of playing time. Mm-hmm. We're on the rise. We're, you know, we're, we're trying to do something here. And for some kids, they'll be like, hey, you know, I want to be a part of something. I want to, you know, kind of, you know, when I graduate or I leave, it'd be like, hey, my last year we were, we made a bowl game. We were mm-hmm. seven and four, seven and five, you know, something like that. You know, I helped turn this around. And for some kids, that's what they're looking for. So, you know, getting maybe some of those unheralded recruits, two-star, three-star, get a couple three-star recruits and could actually maybe build off of that. And then maybe your third year, land some four-stars. You're not going to land a five-star at Kansas, no. but, you know, just <clears throat> and just build from there. And I think that's where he's marketing. Hi, I'm Les Miles. I've won before. We're going to win here. Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to put the effort in, and we'll get there. I'm wondering how much the conference that he plays in is going to have an effect on his level of success. Obviously, it's a high-octane offensive kind of conference, and Les Miles wants to put in a strong defense. I don't know if that helps or hurts him. I guess the second part of the question is going to be, 
what's a realistic win total for next season that you could feel it was a successful first year? Is it three and nine, two and ten? Where where is he trying to shoot for? I would say three and nine would be great. Yeah. I would say four and eight would be phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, how sad that is that yeah. four and eight is seen as phenomenal. But just look where they are. I mean, that's that's a huge improvement. It's you know, I think. Keep your expectations really, really low, and you won't be disappointed. I think having a good defense would definitely set them apart because, you know, the idea in the Big 12 is we'll put up 40, 50 points a game and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's you know, that's Oklahoma. Well, maybe not as much, but Oklahoma and Mayfield was there. They really yes. focused on offense and uh, not so much on defense. You have, you know, Texas, you don't know what to make of them. No. Um, you know, Texas Tech is always sitting back, you know. K-State, I mean, they're okay. But, I mean, it's kind of like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and Mike Gundy is really underachieved this year. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's kind of Oklahoma's real conference, and if you can build up a defense to maybe compete Mm -hmm. against a team like Oklahoma, you know, you have a decent shot. So I would say four wins would be great. I think if he can get to six, you know, his second year, that would be incredible, you know. But, you know, just... I think he knows what he has in front of him, and he goes, you know, it's going to be a while. I know coaches want to win immediately, but you're like, okay, realistically, looking at our schedule, how many of these are actual winnable games? Mm-hmm. And just, and then the other ones are just, you know, you catch someone by surprise and pull an upset. They've done that before. They have. Yeah. Didn't they beat Texas like a couple of years ago or something like that? Could have. I, I can't remember. I but can't they, they, they pulled an upset of a team that they shouldn't have <laughs> beaten, mm. and it was kind of embarrassing for that program. So, you know, just kind of hope for that. Ryan Stig mm. of the Mining Journal, our guest in studio. That's it for us in the sports pen. We're out of time. Ryan, as always, appreciate you being here. Mm-hmm. Enjoy your weekend and look forward to you coming on Wednesday for a special show. Yep. All right, so that's uh, Ryan Stieg once again. I'm Tanner Hoops, signing off from ESPN-UP WZAM-ish. But Marquette, enjoy your weekend.